welcome to Architecture Insights, the podcast series produced by the New South Wales Architects Registration Board. I'm your host, Di Snape. Every two years, the World Design Organisation names one city in the world to be the world design capital. This designation recognises the effective use of design to drive economic, social, cultural and environmental development in a city. And I was very fortunate to be invited to the um, very beautiful Droga apartment uh, down near Central Station to have a conversation with Gianfranco Zakai and Dilke De Silva, two representatives of the World Design Organization who were here on a very short and very busy trip um, determining whether or not to award Sydney the designation of World Design Capital. I also spoke with Tim Horton, Registrar at the New South Wales Architects Registration Board, uh, in the aftermath of Gianfranco and Dilke's visit, to talk about his take on the potential legacy of a World Design Capital designation for Sydney. Dilke De Silva is the Secretary General of the International Council of Societies of Industrial Design, and Gianfranco Zakai is the founder of Continuum. He's had a distinguished teaching career all around all around the world, um, teaching design in Singapore, Milan, MIT, Harvard. He even had a stint in Australia teaching at the um, Australian Academy of Design. I must admit, though, as lovely as it was to sit and chat at the Droger Apartments, uh, the spaces that are best for living in are not necessarily the spaces that are best for audio recording. So, um, my apologies if it's a little echoey. The profession has changed, the discipline has changed, and the world is changing as well. So, uh, you know, we have reinvented cities for a long, long time, and that design has become a powerful tool uh, for a city to use to reinvent a city. And, and that's where our world design capital comes into play. Um, I mean, it's not design as it was understood in the past. It's a lot of the processes, it's the thinking uh, that allows us to reinvent a city using design. And that's clearly seen in the proposals and the bids that we are getting from cities who aspire to become a world design capital. So certainly it's using design as a powerful tool to reinvent a city from a social, cultural, economic and environmental point of view. And WDO um, has aligned itself um, in this new direction where everything we do will be aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So in that regard too, organically, this is also the, the direction cities are going in. So there's a very good fit with what we are attempting to do. And in fact, I would say that uh, the WDO is not any longer about industrial design as it was practiced in the past. Industrial design, as you know, uh, came about in uh, the beginning of the last century is a way of um, uh, providing more beauty to industrially produced products. Um, but over the past, uh, I would say, 20, 25 years, uh, as our economies have shifted from industrial production to post-industrial production, uh, our uh, industrial designers and other designers have focused their attention on the design of services, uh, 
uh, and you might say design of products, but design of products within um, a holistic experience. There are several uh, objectives of being designated as a world design capital. Um, and I would say that the city which is selected really also should represent um, the evolving disciplines of design, uh, not just what happens within its boundaries. Um, but the first thing I would say is to um, uh, inform the public, uh, governmental agencies, uh, industry, uh, society in general, that design is a process uh, uh, more than a result. Right? And that process is about understanding uh, holistic experiences from a human standpoint. Um, and when best applied, design is not just about creating a more beautiful object for the wealthy few, or a more beautiful building, or a more beautiful city, although all of that is very important, so I wouldn't say that that's not one of the objectives. But it's also to apply uh, what's been called design thinking to some of the most uh, challenging problems that society faces. Uh, which isn't to say that a designer can replace a physicist or a political scientist or a medical doctor. But what I like to say is that um, uh, very much like uh, Sir Isaac Newton said that he could see further because he stood on the shoulder of giants, that uh, so many of these other fields uh, can see further by having a designer that can stand on their shoulders and leverage the capability and the knowledge, the deep knowledge that uh, is resident in many areas of expertise, but bring a broader sensibility. Uh, and I think that ultimately the role of the designer is to embody the hopes and aspirations and, and frustrations of people, which means that the design process really needs to start with understanding people within a context very deeply, and then seeing how you can find a solution by connecting those desires, those issues, those concerns with what is technologically feasible, what is sustainable, what is uh, uh, doable. Right? Um, and I think if we can work together, if we can bring the process of design, which has been uh, applied and employed by many different people in the design professions, to addressing some of these issues, we won't solve them, but we'll get further than we would uh, otherwise. We are quite inspired by what we've seen with the types of bids we've gotten. Um, we created World Design Capital really not to create winners and losers. It was to empower communities to use design and to coach others like decision makers, other collaborative stakeholders to understand the value. And the biggest accomplishment for us is the fact that people sit at a dining room table and exchange information and the community builds a bond that continues to use design and do developmental work that benefit a city if they have the designation or not. Um, so our experience, and I often talk about examples such as Eindhoven, which bid but was not designated, but continue to do amazing work uh, using design. Uh, Dublin, which have developed a very exciting social movement using design. Um, and then many other cities who 
have to continue to do this work and also aspire to be a world design capital because you know getting that acknowledgement from a world body is important to some cities but to some if it's not important and they continue to work what we are trying to do is build a movement of communities who actually impress cities and get that buy in to work together so um yeah we are very excited by the results we've seen thus far it's it's kind of an organic thing you know world design capital is a new program it started in 2008 so originally when we you know we couldn't have a network with two cities then we had three cities and as we got these cities together we found that the cities who developed bids or were interested in design were also present in the city and we included them um so although it started as a network of cities for the designated world design capitals it has evolved to become a network of world design capitals and their friends be it cities who bid or who aspire to become world design capital so it's a inclusive group and you know we we've not clearly defined the terms of is there a membership what is it although we did start saying that this is a network for the cities who have the designation to share best practices uh, talk about their legacy program strengths and weaknesses because world design capital we talk about the designated year it's kind of the icing on the cake uh, you still have the years after that to bake the cake and to actually do the work that you put together so it's like a you know a big circus that comes into town but there's a lot of work that has to happen after that and so to stay up to speed understanding what succeeded what didn't succeed and why didn't it succeed or how did it succeed is very important for us um as a new movement you you might say that it's the starter yeast <laughs> to make the bread grow i think that's a really great right idea um and is there a specific objective for that network of cities or beyond knowledge sharing and experience sharing well the the um uh, the aspiration of a world design capital is about the past of the city but also an opportunity for the city to uh focus on problems that it's having um and to at least begin the process of addressing them uh with a with a broader perspective um so I would say that um we are not prescriptive in what happens. I mean there are events that uh, uh that happen, but each city can explore explore and express its own personality, its own heritage, its own objectives uh in different ways, right? So it is not let's say like the Olympics where there are going to be the same events everywhere. Um uh, th- there is um this is an opportunity for a city to showcase itself. uh but also to uh use design to change its vector to a more in a even more positive direction i as a member and as a long time uh supporter uh see this as um uh a lever that can help me as a practitioner to have uh a, a bigger say a bigger contribution in uh helping to design a better world right so i'm interested in uh doing projects that uh really um improve the quality of people's lives and as designers we need to have 
clients that ask us to engage in those areas. Because whenever we try to do it just by ourselves, it doesn't happen, right? So it's, it's like um, trying to uh, leverage a new kind of renaissance by informing the patrons and, uh, and also the public uh, that would benefit from this. So um, talking about design for a better world, that's our motto. WDO's motto is design for a better world. And if we are to create a better world, we have to work with communities. And to be a leader, I mean, we are 60 years old this year as an organization. And to be a leader, you also need a track record of success. And, you know, WDO has a lot of successes and World Design Capital is one of them. Uh, we have a successful track record of working with cities and doing great work and empowering communities. So I would say, yes, we would want to continue to do the program. Does that mean that it's the same program in the future? I don't think so. Um, just as organizations need to change, the program will also need to change. And already we are seeing changes in the way one defines a capital. Um, so, you know, in the past, in economic terms, a capital was a city. It was the center of business. Uh, then it became a city, but not necessarily the center of business. It was, it could be another definition, but it was still a city. Now, a capital can also be a community, as your community have uh, proposed with regards to the bid from Sydney. Uh, Sydney is talking about a very big regional area that is one community. So, so those are the, the organic changes we are seeing in the program and we will adapt accordingly, but always keeping a focus on our priority, which is designed for a better world, working with communities to empower them to use design uh, to reinvent a capital. So, uh, so, so it, it's uh, it's definitely it's an it's a you know two prong answer because yes we are very focused yes we will continue, um, however it will ch make changes to accommodate the needs of the global economy and changing times. Uh, if you think about uh, our origin as being um, industrial design organization, right? Uh, one could argue that industrial production uh, has caused a global climate, climate change, right? Um, so I think it's also our responsibility to find ways of, of doing more by consuming less, right? Um, and uh, one of the ways of doing that is by changing the paradigm from uh, an experience being just about being brick and mortar, but also being about a digital experience and a social experience, right? So um, that's why uh, our focus really is on, on, on creating a better experience for people right? in a more sustainable way. Uh, and I think that that's really fundamental. That's also um, uh, in light of what Dilke was saying about uh, regional impact. There's a global impact, right? So uh, uh, climate change will affect the water levels or the lack of water mm -hmm. in Australia tremendously, right? Um, so th these are all issues that we need to um, quickly begin to address. And I don't think that any one 
element of society can do it alone. And I think designers have a very important uh, ethical um, uh, challenge. We met a cross-section of community players um, who are not designers necessarily, but we met a lot of designers as well, but people who actually understand the contribution design is making and that collaborative synergy and how they are working it out. And although, you know, the, the answers aren't necessarily structured because it's an evolving area, I think, you know, Jan Franco was asking the question, like, what after World Design Capital? And I certainly felt that in the discussions we had uh, round table yesterday, a lot of the answers are not formulated, but they are there. Um, so we have to work together to formulate those answers and to actually test and pilot them to see will they work and if they don't work how do we make them work so um, it was a really exciting visit um, although a lot of lot covered in a very short time um, a really warm and and uh, great community to work with so uh, I'm sure we will be working and returning to this city many times Tim Horton, uh, Registrar of the New South Wales Architects Registration Board. Hello. Welcome back to Architecture Insights. Thanks, Di. Good to have you here always. Um, so, Gianfranco and Dilke have just been in town checking us out for the World Design Capital designation, possibly. This is quite exciting. It was really great to speak with them. I wanted to ask you, though, what's, as one of the many, many partners in this bid for World Design Capital... What you, what's your take on what the potential legacy for Sydney might be? Mm. I think the legacy's already started. Having something like 40, 45 organisations come together already just to make the bid what it is has served a function in itself. So we've got design and business and government from across Greater Sydney. So this is not, you know, this is not City of Sydney, the old quarter in the east, but this is Greater Sydney across all those 30 metropolitan councils from north to south, east to west. And in some ways that's done uh, some good itself. So we've got um, infrastructure and planning and design and we've got design in its broader sense. So we've got the guys from Frost Collective um, as well as sort of Deloitte who are bringing design into business. We've got UTS there with Roy Green and University of New South Wales, which brings uh, through Ross Harley the, uh, uh, the art, if you like, um, dimension to design. As well as that, we've got the City of Parramatta uh, and Committee for Sydney and uh, the Sydney Business Chamber. Now, sorry, I'm going through a bit of a shopping list. And besides that, we've got the Museum of Applied Art and Science and Sydney Living Museum. And so there really is a very broad um, collective behind the bid and in some ways let's just recognize that itself is important so for us the new south wales architects registration board has stepped outside what an architects act and we've explored that broader dimension of how architecture plays into design at the city scale and importantly one of the things that you may have heard from Dilke and Gianfranco is that the world design organization really does view design 
as a strategic tool that we need to create the innovation that cities need in order to move forward. And so it's not just in the projects that Sydney does really well, but it's in that design infrastructure, the intellectual infrastructure that sits behind that. Now that in itself, I think, is already a bit of a legacy. We do have in the bid, actually, a description of what our legacy uh, may look like if we're successful. If somebody wants to see the bid, is that available online? It Can is. And so it? the bid is online at designsydney.org.au. Um, of course, we've got social media presence at SYDWDC2020 on your choice of Insta or Twitter. So we've tried to put as much of the bid up online. We've got a video um, on there of what Dilke and Gianfranco um, you know, saw while they were with us. Now, what's not visible there is some of the financial contributions that we're making. Of course, uh, and you know, we're all adults. This is a uh, this is an undertaking of global proportions. So there's a question of how you mount a program like this from 2018 through to 2021, and then how do you give it momentum so that the legacy has legs into the future? I think. Well, that's a really critical question, isn't it? Because you can't you can't have a 12 month long festival without some serious investment yep. and i guess that that um makes it obvious as to why you need what was it 43 partners yep. just to put the 300 page bid together yep. and that's before you've opened the doors on any of the events yep. um but I th- but which makes it then you know really really important to understand what the legacy is i was talking to Gianfranco and Dilke about um the scope of their individual work, which and because of their involvement with the World Design Organization, which has its genesis in um, industrial design mm. of the object at a relatively mm. small scale, but we're talking in this sense at the scale of the city. It's mm. a pretty um, hugely ambitious thing to to create the overlay of a design network to understand our cities better. Is that a fair comment, do you think? It is, and I think uh, the more you listen to them, the more they are interested in design education, for instance. So I think they were genuinely fascinated to meet the guys from the UTS Creative um, Intelligence and Innovation course, which is really, uh, which is taking sort of design education at that level into uh, business and enterprise thinking. Uh, UTS offers a you know dual degree between architecture and creative uh, in, in intelligence and innovation, and it's making design process explicit. And so, for designers, it can be a challenge when we're teaching, good lord, the bankers of the world, uh, design process. Now, at one level, are we then inviting that to become formulaic um, and stuck into an Excel spreadsheet, or at the other end, are we opening up? this uh, sort of a design literacy to those who traditionally have not really been exposed to it. So uh, I think the World Design Organization really is looking at the way a city through its policies and its programs, as well as its projects, begins to broaden what design education is in, in order to lift awareness in the public most broadly. And through that, to create impact through the social networks that we have at play through stronger and safer communities, yes, as well as through the spaces we design, the places we make possible and the buildings that we author. Previous winners of the World Design Capital designation have gone on to form a network 
between cities mm. as well, which um, Dilke talks a bit about in terms of that being not exclusive to just world design capitals, but something that the world design organisation encourages um, more broadly than mm. that. What's your what are your thoughts about the opportunities for Sydney within that international network? It's not like Sydney's an unknown quantity. Mm. The bid is really quite explicit about that. We're saying that we are a global city. Um, if you look at some of those um, cities who might have had the designation before, um, Torino, for example, at one level is a global uh, city. At the other level, Sydney does have, sits itself well in that family of global mega cities that is looking at you know doubling its population in the next 30 years etc so are we the only ones with the challenge of population growth no we're not are we the only ones that are struggling with questions of sort of you know social equity in the city no we're not and the bid sees that we want to share what sydney's done well and sydney has done a lot well, you know, at one level, if you want to reach for the top 10 cities in livability, Sydney's generally there somewhere. Um, now, when we compare this to Djibouti or Lagos or something, then there are things that we can share. Equally, there are things that are different. Maybe we can learn from others on. Um, uh, it's true that not every city in the world operates through the same economic lens and with the same sort of, you know, land-based value that, good Lord, we know Sydney has. Um, at the same time, we know that a lot of cities in the world can um, manage the social innovation level a lot um, with a lot more agility uh, and a lot less cost and a lot greater um, and stronger social networks at play. So the bid is quite explicit in saying we want to join the family of cities around the world who view design as a strategic tool in moving them forwards. At the same level, um, that means that we see an exchange. And the legacy for us is what we call the Sydney Design Exchange, which is very much a place where domestically, locally, we can exchange between non-design business owners and, and designers where they can come and get access, low cost maybe, to early design, pre-design services. I don't know the question I need to ask, let alone the answer I'm looking for. Can you help me work, work my way through that? At the same level, what we're asking through the legacy is, can we create a design accelerator in some ways? So for those parts of the economy that are emerging that we still don't quite understand the full impact of, take, for example, blockchain and smart contracting, then how does design play into those? Uh, and uh, thirdly, I guess, how do we bring really a design media resource to bear if we want to take the message and capacity of designs capability to do good to a broader audience. And so that's through um, uh, bringing design curricula, if you like, to school-aged children, tackling that STEM movement and adding the A, so to move from STEM to STEAM, to, to give kids the tools they need to shape the world around them, as well as that to work with media, mainstream media, to connect, uh, if you like, journos who are pressed for time with newsrooms that are downsizing to um, the design capability that they might need to understand um, decisions that are being taken in Sydney around infrastructure or planning or, you know, greenways or things like that. So how can we resource media as a broadcaster uh, to get better in understanding communicating design? It's been a hectic couple of days. If anyone's seen a posse of design-looking people 
frantically moving through Sydney was probably the well-designed capital mm-hmm. uh, representatives and their coterie. Um, where did you take these guys? What were the um, how how much ground did you cover? Housing them in um, in the Droger apartment, and that is thanks to the Institute of Architects Foundation who made that possible, and, and Daniel Droger. Um, that gave them a real sense of inner city street life. We then took them uh, to that icon of global design. We took them to the Opera House. <laughs> uh, we hopped on a water taxi, actually, and went straight to uh, Western Sydney and uh, went into the city of Parramatta. And we gave them a sense of what that greater Sydney future looks like over the next 30 years, the idea of fundamentally changing even the lens that we bring to how we think about Sydney from, as I say, the uh, the old city in the old quarter, uh, you know, uh, at Circular Quay, to a greater metropolitan area where there are three cities, <clears throat> the eastern city, the river city, and the garden city, and what that means for um, policies and programs that might need to deliver that change over the next 30 years. So they were able to see something at really quite vast scale. We were standing there on level nine of the Western, new Western Sydney University building, which is phase one of Parramatta Square. And at one level, we were able to see the dozers and the bobcats across what is, I understand, one of Australia's largest urban renewal projects. And then we were back into the city. We were shown around um, Barangaroo's sustainability credentials. Uh, and we were looking there at not only, again, the buildings and spaces, but we we're also looking at something like 70 to 80 percent of food is um, uh, is captured and uh, turned into compost. We've, you know, glass is captured, the recycling that happens, uh, as well as the social sustainability on that site. So again, we were trying to show that as Sydney transforms, there are these dimensions beyond just the physical spaces that support a sort of a 360 design lens. Um, so that like that was day one. So we completely exhausted them. Day two, uh, we were able to ha- take it a little slower. There is a formal agreement that uh, every city needs to sign with the World Design Organization. And that's something that we did um, actually in the magnificent opera house that was really great, looking out onto the sparkly harbor, talking about, uh, about the host city agreement and the city of Parramatta joined us in that because we've been thrilled from the beginning for the city of Parramatta to really step up and be prepared to act as the host city. And that's very much about being the demographic and the geographic centre of, of a growing metropolitan Sydney. But I mean, a city the scale of Sydney is impossible to really absorb entirely across two days. So I, um, my hat goes off to yep. you for giving them such a comprehensive tour. Oh, we finished on Tamarama Beach. Uh, you know, with a shake in the sun, so in winter in Sydney. It was pretty special. Thank you, Tim. And you've been listening to Architecture Insights. Um, Keep an eye out on those social media feeds to find out the outcome of Sydney's well-designed capital bid, which will be announced in October. Is that correct, Tim? It is 14th of October. Okay. Keep an eye out. 14th of October. That's the date. So I would just like to say thank you to the other partners in this bid who include... Frost Collective, City of Parramatta, New South Wales Trade and Investment, the Office of the New South Wales Government Architect, Urban Growth New South Wales, Roads and Maritime Services, the University of Sydney, the Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences, Sydney Opera House, Committee for Sydney, Hargraves Institute, Deloitte, Oricon, Australian Marketing Institute, University of Technology Sydney, Hassel, 
Cox, Arup, the Green Building Council of Australia, the Australian Design Centre, Good Design Australia, Suncorp, the University of New South Wales, Meld Studios, Nielsen Design Associates, the Australian Institute of Architects, the Australian Institute of Landscape Architects and the Design Institute of Australia. Thank you all very much for your support of this um, bid that was pulled together in a very, very quick period of time and is a remarkable document. Thank you all. And that's, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening to Architecture Insights. If you'd like to download any of our other episodes, you can find us on SoundCloud or iTunes. Um, on SoundCloud, we've also tagged a number of podcasts that we think are interesting. And if you're into the same kind of nerdy stuff as us, you might find them interesting too. So please take a look. Um, thanks again for listening to Architecture Insights. I'm your host, Dice Nape. Thank you.